Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Law. Some complicated international law issues here. What kind of docket is Chief Justice Roberts facing? Interviews with prominent attorneys and Bloomberg legal experts. Joining me is Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. Neil Devins, a professor at William & Mary Law School. And analysis of important legal issues, cases, and headlines. Is this essentially the Fifth Circuit hunting? He has presided over a so-called hot bench at the Supreme Court. Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Welcome to Bloomberg Law on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Joe Shortsleeve in for June Grosso. We begin with privacy and Google. What exactly is Google tracking and when? A lawsuit filed in 2020 claims incognito mode on the popular Google Chrome browser potentially is misleading users. The company says privacy disclosures make clear that private browsing mode doesn't make activities invisible online. Now, Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai will have to face hours of questioning in a California court. Joining us now is Bloomberg Industry Group reporter Andrea Vittorio. Her story in the terminal headline, Google's Sundar Pichai, ordered to answer questions about incognito mode. This is a California federal court, correct? Uh, tell us what's going on here, Andrea. Yes, um, consumers have sued Google over uh, incognito mode, which is um, a setting on their web browser, Chrome, where um, people can turn it on to try and make their activity private. The lawsuit claims that it's not as private as people think it is. Google describes it as, you know, when you're incognito, you're not quite invisible online. But the idea is that other people who use your, who share your device wouldn't see your activity, but your activity online could still be visible to the websites that you visit. So there has been some consumer confusion about what this kind of private browsing actually means. When I'm on this particular web browsing mode, I can just select this. And you're saying that the assumption is that most consumers assume, well, incognito means, well, nobody knows I'm there, right? Yeah, I can search whatever I want and it won't be tracking me. But there is a sort of a, a splash screen that comes up when you turn on incognito mode. And Google says that's where they disclose to users that um, this is what it actually means. And so they shouldn't be surprised that it's not quite as private as they think it is, but what the lawsuit is debating. Right. Okay. So what's the problem here? Now, this lawsuit was filed in June of 2020. What are they arguing? Basically that um, Google is um, breaking its privacy promises to consumers by tracking them more than they think they were. So there's some claims brought, I think, under like California law and like contract law, um, just sort of challenging this practice. Mm -hmm. Talking with Andrea Vittorio, a reporter with the Bloomberg Industry Group. Her story on the terminal of Google's Pachai uh, ordered to answer questions about incognito mode. Uh, what type of information... Uh, you know, is Google retaining here uh, when folks are using this uh, this Chrome browser? It seems like it would be anything that you type into your 
browser, basically, like what you're searching, what websites you're visiting. I think websites that are um, that have Google Analytics uh, embedded into them could also be collecting information um, about like your shopping habits or whatever it is you're doing online. Google uh, obviously didn't want to put up their CEO, uh, Sundar Pichai. Uh, however, uh, this federal court uh, obviously disagreed. Uh, speak to us about that uh, controversy. Mm-hmm. There has been some back and forth lately over um, the evidence gathering stage of this lawsuit. There's been uh, a lot of internal Google documents that were shared with the lawyers for the consumers and They've been um, wanting to ask questions of some of the people who um, are mentioned in the documents. And I think they've talked to some uh, lower level Google employees already, but now they've started asking to uh, move up the corporate hierarchy. And recently, the consumers' lawyers got permission to question uh, Google's chief marketing officer. Uh, about incognito's branding and now um, just this week they got permission from the court to question the ceo Mm -hmm. so tell me uh, what what does that mean what happens next and how significant a a legal victory is this next the uh, consumers lawyers will get to sit down with the um, executives that they want to question and just have um, an opportunity to go beyond what they've learned from the document so far, and this will create a uh, written testimony that could then become part of the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, where do you see this going? I mean, this is, the, it feels like we've been debating this topic about, you know, um, privacy with, with the, you know, these companies for a while now. Um, what does this latest turn tell us about uh, what's going on here? I think it's an, another example of consumers who are having a hard time understanding privacy disclosures um, and trying to figure out um, what it means to them practically. So there have been a lot of lawsuits in this vein lately. They seem to end up in settlements if they make it past the the early efforts um, by the companies to get rid of the lawsuits. So it seems like maybe we would be headed in that direction here. Yeah. Okay. So do we know uh, when the CEO will be subject to this questioning? And I guess in the same same idea here, um, legally, what happens next? I'm not sure if there's a schedule for the questioning of the CEO, but they're still sort of in that phase of getting more information um, for the lawsuit. And then I guess that will feed into the judge's next decision on where this case goes. Andrea Vittorio, she's a reporter with the Bloomberg Industry Group. We appreciate you taking time to join us today on Bloomberg Law. Thank you for having me. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 
A headline on the uh, Bloomberg terminal, activist Starboard discloses GoDaddy stake pushes for changes. Story written by Bloomberg reporter Scott DeVoe. Activist investor Starboard Value disclosed a stake in a website services company, GoDaddy Inc., and said it may push for changes to improve the stock's performance. The New York-based hedge fund said in a regulatory filing that it held a 6.5% stake in the technology company, which it believes is undervalued. Now, Starboard uh, said in the filing that it may meet with management and the board as part of the investment to discuss ways to improve shareholder value, including potential board and operational changes as well as business combinations. A representative for GoDaddy didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. Now, shares in GoDaddy had fallen 8.2% a year to date, uh, giving the company's market valuation of roughly $12.7 billion. Its shares rose 7% uh, to $81 a share on Monday. Uh, Starboard has a history of pushing for changes at companies in the technology sector. Uh, to explore this a little bit further, we want to bring in an expert in the field. Uh, this is Kai Likafet. He is a partner in the law firm Sidley Austin, uh, and he co-chairs Sidley's uh, shareholder activism practice. Uh, thank you, Kai, for joining us. Uh, let's start a little bit with uh, what happened. Starboard's a 13D filing, which means they're basically buying more than 5% of the equity here, uh, is noteworthy because uh, the activist $800 million is one of the largest stakes it's ever taken. Are there any regulatory hurdles uh, for an activist to clear when they take such a large position? That's a great question. Thanks for having me on your program, Joe. Yes, there are a number of regulatory hurdles for an activist to address uh, when they take uh, such a big stake. Uh, the one, one filing regime is uh, with the SEC, and they already cleared that by filing a so-called Schedule 13D, which you're required to file when you have a 5% or larger stake in a public company. But there are also antitrust uh, considerations um, when uh, an activist acquires a stake that is worth more than $92 million in a public company. They also need to make a filing with the, um, uh, with the FTC and the uh, DOJ from an antitrust perspective to get cleared. Mm -hmm. Talking with Kai Likafet, he is a uh, partner with uh, Sidley Austin uh, Law Firm in New York, uh, fifth largest in the country. Uh, all right. Um, now, one of the interesting things is that Starboard uh, apparently gave the scoop to the media before filing uh, that 13D form. Are there any legal issues with that maneuver? It is, it is a little bit of a gray area of the law, but that is something that activists do frequently, that they give a scoop to one media outlet. Very often, actually, your very own Scott DeVoe from Bloomberg, uh, and only afterwards, an hour later, 30 minutes later, or sometimes even five minutes later, they issue their press release or uh, make their SEC filing. Uh, the SEC has not taken any, uh, any action against this kind of maneuver in the past, and I doubt that the SEC is focused on this. But it is interesting that activists like to do that. Mm. Now, the stock traded up significantly following the news. Uh, what is the significance of this stock price increase legally or otherwise? Well, it shows me that um, the activists probably did not give a heads up to other uh, ARPs and hedge funds investors. 
because if you have such a large rise uh, in the stock price following following the the, the news, uh, it means that uh, no one else or few uh, outside uh, the activists knew beforehand that uh, this would uh, would uh, would happen. So from a legal perspective, uh, it probably clears the activists uh, from any wrongdoing. Um, it is also interesting, though, that um, a lot of uh, a lot of outside advisors read more into the stock price uh, increase uh, when uh, when an activist go public. A lot of a lot of um, outside observers feel that if the stock price increases significantly, that this is uh, a quasi validation of the activist thesis. I'm a little bit skeptical of that argument. Uh, for me, it just means that there are a lot of ops and hedge funds pouring into the stock, and they oftentimes just follow the name without any uh, any uh, larger investigation as to whether or not the activist thesis, which is not even publicly disclosed in our case, has any uh, validity or not. Mm -hmm. And what are the typical next legal steps for uh, the activists after filing this Schedule uh, 13D? Well, typically, activists start engaging with the public, uh, with the company privately, not in public, after they file a Schedule 13D. Uh, but at some point or another, they have to make a decision whether they put up or shop up. That is um, meaning whether or not they run a proxy contest to replace uh, all or a portion of the board of the target company. And at most companies, uh, there are uh, certain deadlines to observe when making a step of uh, running a proxy contest. It's called the nomination deadline. The nomination deadline at most companies is somewhere between February and March. So that would be the next legal step uh, in this kind of situation for an activist. Kai Leekafet is our guest. He's a partner at uh, Sidley Austin in New York. He also co-chairs uh, Sidley's uh, shareholder activism uh, practice. Uh, are there any uh, legal defenses a company can use against an activist after uh, the filing of a Schedule 13D? That's a question I always get from clients, and uh, many of my clients uh, would like to take the activist to court, uh, send them to jail, get them beaten up. Uh, but the uh, unfortunate truth is that there are few legal defenses um, that uh, have an immediate effect against an activist. Um, one of the defenses that a lot of companies explore is whether or not to uh, adopt a so-called poison pill. A poison pill is a legal instrument that allows a company to limit the maximum amount of shares uh, any in, uh, investor can buy. Typically, that is a 10 or 15 percent threshold of the outstanding shares. So that's something a company can do. However, the poison pill, just as many other pills, has certain side effects. And the side effect of a poison pill is while the board can do that without shareholder approval, a lot of shareholders view poison pills relatively negatively and tend to vote against the incumbent board unless the board can demonstrate a very good justification for the adoption of the poison pill. So it is a legal maneuver that is sometimes used. Sometimes it makes sense to use it, but in a lot of cases, uh, the the, uh, the the disadvantages outweigh, outweigh the advantages of the poison pill. Mm -hmm. A final question for me. So how do you size up uh, this activist investor starboard value and the actions they took as it relates to GoDaddy? 
Well, I cannot speak to GoDaddy, um, but generally speaking, uh, Starboard is one of the most well-known activist investors, either the number one or the number two activist investor in the world. Uh, they have a lot of credibility in the market. They have a lot of uh, capital at their disposal. They have very sophisticated advisors. So when they decide to go public against a company, it's typically, uh, it's typically a sign of confidence on their end that uh, they, they got it right. Kyle Lee Kefet. that they are right. Kyle Lee Kefet, he is a partner of Sidley Austin uh, there in New York City. I appreciate you uh, taking time and joining us on Bloomberg Law. Thank you for having me. That's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every night at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. The show is produced by Eric Mallo for Bloomberg Radio. I'm Joe Shortsley. Thank you for listening. And remember to tune into the next edition of Bloomberg Law right here on Bloomberg Radio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.